with one life. What is God able to do with one life? God is able to do with one life anything God can do. Any life that is fully surrendered to Him, God can do anything through that one life. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we moved to a neighborhood before the Kessler house. It had a, it had a city park back behind it. And so us kids, as we got older, were able to go out and play in the city park. This was back in the 1960s, okay? You could send your kids outside and they could play in a park without parental supervision. And uh, there were a number of things that we played on, uh, swings and monkey bars. But I remember one thing in particular. It was a, it was a large slide. Now, a traditional slide, you climb up the steps, and there's a, one little slot where you slide down. And this park had that. But back in those days, there was this other slide, and it was kind of triangular-shaped. I don't know if I can get a witness for the Lord today. But it, was, it had a large surface area. Uh, and it, it angled up to a peak, and then it came down. It was huge. Probably if I went to the park today, it was about six foot tall. You know, it wasn't very, probably not as large as I thought it was. But us neighborhood kids played a game called King of the Hill. Can I get a witness for the Lord today? Maybe you played it. Maybe you played it on a dirt pile. That's all right. I'm not hating on your dirt pile. But you could, there were little rails on this slide and you could climb up the, along that rail or, you know, if you were a kid, you could take off your shoes, and if your hands and feet were just right, you could kind of Spider-Man up it, you know. And the game was that the king got to the top, that top corner, and he or she was king of the hill. And the rest of the kids just went, what do we do? We're all about grabbing somebody and throwing them down, right? So it was all about getting that person out of that place and getting to be king of the hill right? There is a strategic advantage at being on higher ground. It's not only true for slides in city parks. It was all, it's also true militarily. The one who possesses the higher ground has a strategic advantage over the people that are wanting to come and to take that higher ground. In order to take higher ground, though, we must possess a higher power. And the sermon this morning is all about that higher power that allows us to take higher ground. In 2 Chronicles 16.9 
The scripture says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God can do anything through one life as long as that one life is completely loyal, totally surrendered to Him. God will show His power to those who will depend completely upon Him, and God can do anything through that one life that God can do. One such individual in the Scripture who I believe fit that bill was a man by the name of Caleb who the scripture says over and over wholly followed the Lord and the key to Caleb's life was that he exalted God more than he exalted the enemy Caleb exalted God more than he exalted the enemy. Our lives today are a reflection of who we believe God is. And sometimes when I look to my life that's very disappointing that I would live a life that reflects, quite honestly, a low view of God. But really our lives are a reflection of who we believe God is. God is who He is. But we can diminish the power of God in our lives by seeing Him far less than He really is. I believe in the days ahead of us, in this season of renewal, that one of the things that God must do so that our lives will change and we will walk on higher ground is that we must exalt God. We must see God for who He really is. And when we see God for who He really is, then our lives will begin to change. But as long as we see God the way we see God now, we will continue to live the lives that we live. Caleb is characterized throughout the scriptures in the times that he is mentioned as a man who wholly 
followed the Lord. And the key to his, to his life was that he exalted God more than the enemy. I want you to turn in your Bibles, or it will be on the screen, to Joshua chapter 14. And I know we've, we've fast-forwarded the story a little bit. Uh, these sermons have been designed to take us to higher ground. I've used the analogy of the children of Israel being promised the promised land, redeemed out of Egypt. God led them into the wilderness, initially brought them to the edge of the promised land to go in, but they did not have the faith, and so God condemned them to, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then in the time of Joshua, they come to the edge of the Jordan, and God miraculously parts the Jordan. They go across. Last week we saw that they took the stronghold that was right in front of them, the city of Jericho. In the chapters that follow in Joshua, just to get us to chapter 14, uh, the armies of Israel have gone into the central part of the promised land, and they've taken down the strongholds, and they've occupied the land. Then they went south, and they did the same thing. They didn't, they didn't conquer everyone, but they took control of the land. And then they went north, and they took that land. And then they came back to Gilgal, which is where we're going to find ourselves today in verse 6, where they started. And Joshua begins to divide out the land to the tribes. And so he assigns it to different tribes, the promised land. And then they are to go and to completely conquer and obliterate the enemy that's in their territory. They come, Joshua 14, 6, to the tribe of Judah. Hmm. It says in verse 6, and I'm going to read 6 through 15, and then we'll, we'll talk for a few minutes. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kinzanite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So he's 85 years old. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am, this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, 
So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Here's what he says. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephna as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephna, the Kenzanite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirgath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Caleb reminds Joshua as they're dividing up the land of God's promise. God had said through the prophet Moses that that Caleb would would inherit the land where his foot had had trodden. And so he was Caleb was one of the 12 spies. When they first came out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, they came to the edge of the promised land. Moses uh, said, "Let's go and let's spy out the land." And he sent 12, one from every tribe. The representative from the tribe of Judah was Caleb. And he and Joshua come back and they say, the land is as God has said. It flows with milk and honey. Let us go up at once and take the land. Hmm. But the other ten spies said, yes, it is true that the land flows with milk and honey. But the cities are great there. And the descendants of Anak, the Anakim, dwell there. And we cannot take this land. And the people were disheartened and they took the word of the ten spies over the two spies. And God condemns them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. For that whole generation, everyone that is 20 years of age and older, to die off except for two people. Joshua, the primary leader, and Caleb, who also, whose heart wholly followed the Lord. Uh, it's kind of interesting when you read that account uh, that they keep talking about these giants in the land. The descendants of Anak or the Anakim. Uh, the I am, little Hebrew lesson here, the I am is like an S in English. It just makes it plural. So the descendants of Anak, if you're just talking about them as a group, become the Anakim, I am, S. Anyhow, okay, amaze your friends with your knowledge of Hebrew when you eat lunch today. But it, in, in Numbers 13, it describes this in verse 22 uh, of Numbers 13. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. The descendants of Anak were there. Uh, and then later, it says in verse 28 of, of Numbers 13, when it first tells this story, uh, the ten say, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And then later in that chapter in verse 
33, it says, There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. (laughs) I want you to see in the Scripture that the ten and the majority of people exalted the enemy while Joshua and Caleb exalted the Lord. Moses says of Caleb later in Numbers 14, 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and and his descendants shall inherit it. While the majority of people exalted the enemy, Caleb exalted the Lord. And even though 45 years later, he still believed in the promise of God that God would give him that land because God was far greater than any other power that he would encounter. God's word is greater than the words of anybody else. And and Caleb depended upon that as a rock-solid solid promise from God. And that's what he says in those early verses in Joshua 14. When he comes before uh, Joshua and he says, the, we're dividing up the land. I want you to remember that even though it's been 45 years, God promised me the land where I walked. And so they came up from the south and they went into this region in the southern part of the promised land. And it was the place where they got the grapes. And they, they strung them up on these poles. And we've all seen the pictures probably in Sunday school or sometime, those, the 12 spies. And it was a land that flows with milk and honey. The land that they saw was the land. That Caleb said, no, Moses said that wherever my foot has trod, God will promise me that land. That land has my name on it. And as we're dividing up the land, I want you to remember that has been the promise of God. And he reminds Joshua of that. For 45 years, Caleb has suffered because of the lack of faith of the other people. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) Wow. Caleb's heart was fully committed to God. But the rest of the people, other than Joshua, and I guess Moses, did not have the faith to go up. You think, well, well, God ought to just give Caleb that land. Just He had the faith, let him go up and take it. doesn't work like that. Caleb suffered for the lack of faith from the other people. And even maybe humanly you would look at it and say, well, surely he's forgotten the promise of God 45 years Okay, that was yesterday's news. Surely God, that's still not His plan. But Caleb not only depended upon God's promise, but he also trusted in God's power. Caleb knew that even though 45 years had passed, he knew God would fight for him because God's power is greater than any other power of anyone else even the people that everyone else feared 
the sons of Anak, the Anakim, that lived in those mountains, the mountains that flowed with milk and honey. And so Caleb, as he speaks to Joshua, says that I am as strong today as I was 45 years ago. He still had the faith and the vitality to say, if this is what God has given me, I am ready to go up and take it. In fact, he says, give me this mountain. Moses promised it to me. Now, Caleb could not depend upon his own strength, but he knew that he could depend upon the power of God. And if God, if one thing Caleb knew, that if God was in it, then God could do it. It didn't matter whether the giants still lived in that place or not. You see, the people had gone and they had knocked out a lot of the the strongholds and they had occupied the land, but they had not gotten all of it. There was a stronghold of giants in a city that would be called Hebron after Caleb takes it. And it's almost like nobody wanted to deal with it. It was the land of the giants. But Caleb says, even though I'm 85 years of age, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke. I'm depending upon his promise and I'm depending upon his power. God will fight. He he literally says, the Lord will be with me. God will fight. Now we've got to just, boop, we've got to just take a time out pause right here and we've got to soak in this truth because Caleb's heart wholly followed the Lord he believed God could do anything in his one life even take the mountains the strategic stronghold king of the hill that the giants dwelt there no God God will fight for me You know what occurs to me? Is all the people of faith, Moses and Joshua specifically, knew that God would be the one who is doing the fighting. And that if God was in it, nobody was going to defeat God. There are some interesting scriptures. You can write these down. I'll read them. At Mount Sinai, God speaks to Moses. We can't stay here too long, but we must pass this way. In Exodus 23, God says to Moses, this is at Mount Sinai before they've got to the promised land. He says, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. And then it says, for my name is in him. I wish I had more time, but I don't. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries for my angel will go before you and bring you into 
the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. My angel will go before you. And the implication is the angel will be the power of God that fights for you. Forty years later, when they're at the edge of going in the promised land again, God speaks to Moses, and Moses relates it to the people. Deuteronomy 9, 1, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know, of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, here it is, therefore understand today that the Lord your God is He who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. God will fight for you. Moses knew this. Joshua was learning this. Days after that occurrence, after they had crossed the Jordan River and the day before they are to go and to take Jericho, there is this story that I kind of skipped as I was reading or as I've prepared these sermons. In Joshua 5, verse 13, this, this is an experience that, that Joshua, their leader, had. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. I don't know. I don't know how this came about. But Joshua is standing there, and there is a man with a sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you on their side or are you on our side? I love the response. So he said, no. <laughs> to what question? Whose side are you on? You on their side or you on our side? He said, no, you got it all wrong. He says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Read that slowly. What is he saying? I'm not on their side. I'm not on your side. I'm on God's side. <laughs> we could have preached right here. We could have just stayed. I love that phrase that when God comes, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. The question's not, is God on my side or on their side? The question is, am I on God's side? Because if I'm on God's side... God can do anything through my life. If I'm on my own side, I don't know. You can look at a battle and say, I don't know who's going to win that. But if God is in it, then God's going to win it. But I didn't come here to preach that sermon. And Joshua fell on his face to the fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? 
Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. That's a good idea. It's, it's parallel to Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, except it's a man. And sometimes it's an angel. Oh, and if Doyle Thornton could come and he could tell you who this person is. Because <laughs> we talk about it in our life group periodically. It is the pre-incarnate Christ who is the commander of the Lord's army. And the question is not whether he is on our side or, your si or the other side, but am I on his side? Mm. Joshua knew that the Lord fought for him. At the end of his life, in Joshua 23, verse 10, he says to the people, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. He will fight for you if you are on his side. And then he says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. If your heart will be fully surrendered to Him, then you will be on God's side and God can do anything through your life that God can do. Moses knew this truth. Joshua knew this truth. Caleb was putting this to the test that he believed that God's power was greater than any other power. And so Joshua... leaves, I'm sorry, Caleb leaves Gilgal and he goes to the southern region that becomes the inheritance of the tribe of Judah. And the old 85-year-old man leads the tribe to take that region where all Caleb's foot had trod 45 years before. I like the way he it describes it in, in Joshua 14. It says that this, the name of that city used to be Kirgath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, which were the giants. They named the city after themselves, one of their great warriors. But when Caleb showed up, it became known as Hebron. Because it was not the possession of the giants, it was God's possession. It had God's name on it. I don't know the significance of Hebron, but I know that it is a Hebrew word. And when Caleb got there, he called it Hebron. Do you know that Hebron still exists today? Ted and Barbara have been there. I'm sure Tommy Jan's been there. All of these years, Hebron. In fact, it's one of the oldest existing cities in human history. Once named for the giants, now named by Caleb or God, it is God's possession. Hebron had great significance. In the days of Abraham, after he came to the land, he came to this place. And many years later, when his dear wife Sarah died, 
Abraham bought a piece of land in Hebron and he buried his wife Sarah. And when Abraham died, they buried him there in Hebron. And when Isaac and Rebekah died, they buried them in that place, Hebron. And when the other patriarchs died, they buried them there. This is the family place that the enemy had taken the stronghold and nobody wanted to take except for the old 85-year-old man who believed that in God's promise and God's power and believed it was God's possession. This is what we learn from Caleb's life that is significant for us if we are to take higher ground in our lives. The key is that we must exalt the Lord more than the enemy. Nobody else took that because they exalted the enemy and the giants became even greater. The the phrase is, they made a mountain out of a molehill. We were like grasshoppers to them. Were we really like grasshoppers to them? No, we weren't. It wasn't that disproportional. And it doesn't really matter because if God is on our side, we can do anything. You know what? That's that's what Paul says. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter what you pass through in life. Because later in verse 37, he says, Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. John the Apostle knew this. He wrote in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. They took that from the words of Jesus Jesus, toward the end of his ministry in John 16, 33, says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If you are a child of God, you have full access to the power of God. I don't know. Sometimes it's because of our fear (laughs) that we look to circumstances and human things in our lives and problems and situations and health and jobs and family and all those things and we say, ah, it's greater than I I can deal with. I can't do this. And out of fear, we do not access the power that we have as the children of God and we leave that stronghold occupied by the giants. We leave it to the enemy. But God has a power that is greater than anything else. In fact, many times our lives are are paralyzed by the fear of the enemy. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Too many times we fear the enemy more than we reverence God. God demonstrated great power through Caleb because Caleb exalted God in his life and said, if God has said he will do it, I believe he can do it because God is greater than anything else and his name is greater than any other name. 
Oh, people. The story I've told today is the story of an individual. One person, Caleb. And the reality today, the truths that I have shared come down to individuals. One person. You, individually. It's not about the tribe. It's about you. Caleb might have said, well, I'm just one man. It doesn't really matter. I'm 85 years of age. 45 years have passed. I don't know. Let's see how this thing goes. You know what? Until we take personal responsibility for where we are in our lives and that our lives make a difference, not only in our lives, but in those around us, and not only for those around us, but for those that come after us, then we're just going to rock along. As we start a season of renewal, one approach might be, well, I'm going to kind of just go to church next Sunday and see how this whole thing goes. Might get caught up in it. Maybe not. Doesn't work like that. You have to take personal responsibility for where you are and what it is that God wants to do in your life and to say, no, I will set my face before God that God might... And your sin, I don't know. You may say your sin's not that bad. You're not the key to, to what God, God wants to do in our, in our church's life. I don't know that. You don't know that. That would question the power and the purpose of God. We have to take personal responsibility for our own spiritual lives and what we will do to be a part of what God wants to do. And we must understand from Caleb's life that our lives affect those around us, not just us. You know what strikes me? Caleb is the leader of the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know there's 12 tribes. Maybe all of them are significant. But when the great patriarch Jacob was dying, he gathered all the boys around and he prophesied to them. You can read it at the end of Genesis. He comes to Judah and he said, as a prophet of God, he said, the scepter will never depart, the ruling staff, the scepter will never depart from the tribe of Judah. Caleb fell in that line. 85 years of age, he leads his tribe to take that region. <laughs> there's a, you're not going to believe it. There's a little town in Judah called Bethlehem. It's not much. It's in the tribe of Judah. And many years later, there was a man that lived there by the name of Jesse who had eight sons. And when God told, when God rejected the first king, Saul, he said to Samuel the prophet, the kings in Bethlehem, the house of Jesse, it was the youngest, it was David, whom God described as a man after God's own heart. 
Oh, the story even gets more twisted from there because the little shepherd boy one day when his brothers were all fighting, he went to the battle. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. He shows up and there's a giant there because actually what the book of Joshua tells us that they didn't take all the cities of the giants. The city of Gath was left and there was a giant by the name of Goliath who came out and taunted God's people. And the little shepherd boy from Judah, you talking about a mismatch. The little shepherd boy didn't have a prayer, but he stood there in the power of God. And he says a lot of things. But in 1 Samuel 17, 47, he said to Goliath, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. That was right before the rock started flying. Well, actually, just the rock. Oh, and it was done. Give the little shepherd boy a sword and he's gone. And the prophecy was that someday a descendant would come from Judah of the family of David. That's what the prophet said. And Jesus Christ came. Mary and Joseph, both from the tribe of Judah. Joseph from the city of Bethlehem. And Jesus comes to be Savior and Lord. What an amazing legacy Caleb left. Just one man. You say, well, my life doesn't matter. No, your life does matter. Because God can do anything in your life that he can do if like Caleb our hearts are holy his would you stand with me this morning as I pray father I ask in these days that through your spirit you would turn our hearts towards you and that we will have a different spirit as it says of Caleb Father, you would root out any sin that I hold on to and that you would purify my heart and all of our hearts that we might love you more than anything else and we might be totally surrendered to you. Father, I pray that you'd start it today because today is the only day we have and I pray that you'd start it with me. And I pray it in Jesus' name.